Hello everyone, welcome back to Freedom Talks. This is Brady back with you, uh, back with uh, Molly Ripberg again. She's a PT for Freedom Physical Therapy Services, and today um, our guest is Desiree Constantineau. Um, and Desiree is uh, the Live Yes Arthritis Network Chair, or is a chair, um, and also is on the Arthritis Foundation Leadership Board. She is the Live Yes Connect Facilitator for the Milwaukee Arthritis Connect Group. Um, Desiree, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. The sun's shining, so as long as I don't go outside, I can't complain. <laughs> Good. And Molly, how about you? How are you doing? Doing well. Just trying to stay warm. Yes, it is a cold one today <laughs> in uh, Wisconsin. Um, so Desiree, uh, you have a um, you've lived with arthritis. Um, could you kind of Take us through uh, a little bit of your journey living with arthritis and uh, your diagnosis and, and um, how early you were diagnosed and, and what you've sure. had to kind of experience so far. Um, well, I'm, um, I'm a, a vet, so I'm an old schooler these days. I was diagnosed with uh, juvenile arthritis, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, back in... Uh, Christmas of 1982. So I was seven years old at the time, just going on eight. Um, so really most of my life has been with our living with arthritis. I mean, I, I, I have memories of not having it um, or what I could do back then, but really it's my, it's been with me. Arthur's been with me for, you know, my entire life basically. Yeah, you um, you almost uh, talk about it like it's an old friend, but uh, I'm sure uh, it's had its challenges. And um, oh yeah, what is I guess you know I think when a lot of people think of arthritis, they think of like the um, the kind of arthritis where you wear a joint down over the course of your lifetime, and um, you have like a sore knee or a sore hip or a sore joint. Um, yeah, it's not that. <laughs> yeah. So can you kind of explain to people, um, you know, what what juvenile arthritis is and um, sure. how that is much different than you know, maybe what the normal person would associate with uh, arthritis? Well, um, you know, we had, there's uh, over 120 different kinds of arthritis over under that umbrella, arthritis umbrella. And um, a lot of times they're more just autoimmune conditions. Um, rheumatoid arthritis and juvenile rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease, which means that um, for whatever reason, my immune system attacks my joints um, and it can, it can attack your organs as well, um, as if they were infected. And so the inflammation then, um, starts to break down all the things that you need to keep the joints moving properly. Um, and, you know, over time that leads to a lot of joint damage, joint erosion and, um, pain, swelling, stiffness, and uh, in my case, uh, a lot of replacements. I've had 12 joint replacements. Wow. Wow. And uh, like I said, I'm an old pro. And um, I think, you know, obviously it's different depending on who you are and what your body does. And um, 
part of the reason why I had so many replacements is because I was diagnosed about 10 years before the advent of the first biologic drug that came on the market. And since then, um, it's really it's it's really changed the game as far as um, early treatments and um, you know stopping disease progression. But um, like I said, I was late or early to the game on that one, so um, I have a lot more uh, damage and irreversible irreversible <laughs> um, you know uh, yeah damages other people. Um, so my question is, so when you were, before you were diagnosed, um, what were some of the signs, some of the symptoms, like what ultimately um, led to you and your parents figuring out that like something was going on um, and that like further work or further looking was. Right. We, um, and again, because we didn't know as much back then, even with juvenile arthritis. Um, so it had started, the pain, joint pain had started um, just just slight. I, I In October of that year, I had had a sore wrist, um, which was the first indication that something was wrong. And, you know, we figured I was just, you know, because... I, I, I was a hard, I played hard. So we thought it was just, you know, I did something to my wrist and uh, I was very excited that I got to wear a little ACE bandage and told everybody it was sprained, but that, you know. Um, but then, and that went away. And then that December I was, um, I mean, mine came on like out of nowhere, essentially. Um, because that December then I was in a gym class one day and running um, and it's just like, you know, it can happen so quickly, a flare. And by the time I was, I, I couldn't finish the laps because it felt like my feet were just blocks of wood hitting the, the gym floor. And um, I, I was just in tears. And so I, you know, I, I, I sat the rest of it out and then, um, you know, they called my mother cause I also like was running a, a fever, a high fever. And um, we went to the G from the GP clinic to uh, children's hospital, Wisconsin. And they took me, it took two weeks to, to find the diagnosis. They had, they ruled everything else out first. Um, you know, and of course, you know, everybody's always relieved when they find out it's not cancer, but we had no idea exactly what arthritis would do, could do. Um, and uh, I guess we've just learned along the way. You talked about the resources and that's kind of obviously, I think you've been a big advocate for creating resources for others that have, that are suffering, suffering from arthritis. Um, and so I kind of wanted to get a little bit into your roles that you've occupied um, currently and in the past with creating all of those different resources. So what what do you what do you do in in some of your current roles and what have you done in your past roles um, to help create resources and um, awareness for arthritis? Well, um, it was very important when I was a child. The Arthritis Foundation. Um, 
I mean, the year after I was diagnosed, they founded the um, American Juvenile Arthritis Organization. So um, the AF has always been uh, a champion of families and children living with arthritis. And so for the first couple of years of my diagnosis, I, I was able to go to these the annual conferences where I got to meet other kids with it. And, um, and then I went to uh, an arthritis camp when I was um, yeah, 12 and 13. So, and that was instrumental in meeting other people, other kids with it and um, kind of not feeling alone and like the only one for at least that week of the year, I felt quote normal. And, um, and then it came and then I, you know, I didn't want anything to do with arthritis for my teenage years. We all rebel in a way, um, whatever way that is. And then um, in my early 20s, I found that I really, I was really struggling with my own body image with, again, not feeling like anybody understood. Um, and I went searching for a young adult group um, and I, I checked out the Arthritis Foundation first. And at that time, they weren't doing support groups, but there was um, still these conferences going on. And uh, my first conference then was in 1999. Um, and when I was 25, I met adults that have become my arthritis family and are really the people that I can turn to when, uh, when I'm struggling or just when I need support somebody else to understand without having to explain it. And that was the impetus for then um, bringing, bringing that kind of community to a local level and working with the Arthritis Foundation to, um, to, to start creating, bring back these support services, these community groups. Um, and uh, to, to have them volunteer led because camaraderie that um, is really important. You need somebody that's gonna tell you what to expect that's different from getting a pamphlet and, and tricks really, like, cause nobody, nobody can explain it as well as somebody else doing it when it comes to adaptation. Can so you we've tell been doing us, that. Oh yeah, go ahead. Can you tell us just a little bit about like the different um, like groups that you have, like the, the kids, the young adult, like, you know, what, what kind of groups are available to sure. as resources right now? Well, it's so the, it's, it's, the Arthritis Foundation has um, the Live Yes Arthritis Network. And that's the umbrella for all of our patient programs and services. And so monthly we have, and this goes through the entire country, we have local um, local Livias arthritis networks or community groups, we call them connect groups. And so those are uh, educational social meetings that we do once a month. There's uh, groups for the JA parents, and then there's a group for adults. Um, and Currently, we're starting to branch out more and uh, offer uh, specific affinity groups. Say if you have a 
you just want a gout group or you want a psoriatic arthritis group. Um, and because they are volunteer led right now, that is my main focus is both reaching um, out to the community to find volunteers who would like to create their own groups and also then leading my own, which is the Milwaukee uh, community group. And we meet once And we have both speakers come in and then we have just like, you know, social coffee clutch meetups every other month. So it's really the best of both worlds because we're able to both educate, but then we're able to come together and share both you know, our triumphs and our challenges. Because it's really about learning to live with what you celebrate, what you gain or what you can still do. You know, it's, it's really helpful to remember and to be aware of, um, of the grief process. And then to also then, you know, remember to smell, celebrate the small victories, you know, when you're living with a chronic disease. Mm -hmm. Can, can you kind of go through that in terms of, um, you know, I, I imagine, and I, you know, I, I can't really put myself in those shoes very easily in terms of your mind is saying, oh yeah, that might look easy, but then um, you try to do some things and obviously with the extreme pain or maybe the inability, depending on um, the condition, right? Can you explain yeah. kind of um, that thought process and then kind of how you're using those support groups to kind of maybe get a better mindset or, or get through it? Well, that's a lot of it. And, um, and again, we're all at different stages. And when you're first diagnosed, I think that there is, there's a huge grief process very much. I mean, almost like a death because your quotes, your old life will not look the same, whether it's just having to take all these medications every day or having a, a, a long-term flare, which again, um, it, it's not only about pain, but it's limiting, limiting your mobility. And then um, inflammation, it's been proven that inflammation can lead to depression and vice versa. And so you also have to keep, a, uh, keep aware of your mental health as you're going through that, because one can feed the other. Um, so often. And it's a journey. I mean, I, I didn't just get here overnight. Like now that I've lived with, you know, Arthur for 36, seven years, um, it was probably, it's probably only been 10 or 12 years that I've really began to look at um, how I, how I think of my body and the disease. And you know, for so many years, personally, I thought of it as the enemy. And I thought of my body as the enemy. Um, and this is probably more new agey than um, a lot of people want, but I, it, it came to a point where I realized that if, if, if my brain is constantly seeing the body as an other and an enemy, there's no way to live um, in a holistic fashion and to, to understand that um, it, it is all one thing. And um, for me, 
that helps uh, a lot eliminate a lot of the stress and to come to reach a certain kind of acceptance. But again, it's it's it, 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 it takes practice. And I think it comes along as you grow and you get accustomed to living this way. And I mean, I still grieve if if I lose the ability to do something. Um, you know, I understand that I have to grieve it. But I've, I've, I've learned that there are things you lose for a time and you regain them um, sometimes. And, um, and then others, you just have to go through that process of, of the anger and the denial and the bargaining and um, really be aware of where you are at that moment. And so with the groups, we try to, um, again, bring, not only bring like the latest in science and things, but really a lot of the mental health, like how we cope better um, will, it will, will um, impact how we feel. And so that's my own journey so far. Could, could you walk us through an example of whether you or someone else losing the ability to do something and then how that support group kind of um, walks them through that and helps them through that grief process? Like, could you just give a concrete example of that? Um, I think like as uh, I think the, the, the feeling that you're not alone. You know, something as simple as opening jars, right? Sure. Um, because it's such it's such a, a simple task. Um, you know, it's such a simple task. And yet, when you find that you can't do this simple task at home and you, you suddenly feel dependent on other people, um, it's a huge blow. You know, because we're raised that we're supposed to be dependent and do everything on our own. I mean, at our sport groups, you know, one of the simplest things is just share what tools help. You know, all right, well, this is what I use to say open the jar. So you don't have to ask for help. I mean, I live independently. I'm on my own. And I've got just, I've got an entire toolkit of things that I use to help maintain my independence so that I can do things on my own from a, a, a thick handled jar opener to uh, the socket that helps me get my socks on by myself. And, um, and I think it also helps again with that not straining your body um, when you don't have to work hard, work smarter, not harder. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us will put our We'll, we'll punish our bodies and, and push too hard in order to say that we still did it. And again, it takes some acceptance to say, you know what, I'll feel better if I do this in an adapted way. And, you know, I'm the only one holding myself this accountable or, you know, you know judging myself this harshly. Well, and I think, you know, definitely what you said about like finding different ways or adaptive ways. I mean, that's one of the things as a therapist, we get a lot, I mean, I, I treat a lot of patients that have arthritis um, and it, you know, they come to us and they come to our OTs and they say, okay, this is what I'm trying to do. This is what I can't do. Um, you know, what do you have for me? How can I, you know, and sometimes it's a strengthening thing or it's um, just a movement, finding a different way to do the same movement. Um, 
but it, it's nice to know that there are groups out there that you guys are going through it. Sometimes it's hard for me to necessarily imagine it unless they can bring it in or show me exactly how they're struggling to do a task. Um, and so it, it's good to know that there are groups out there like you have where you guys that are kind of going through it and have dealt with it um, can easily say, you know, oh, you got to order this or, you know, if you, you know, put this this way instead of this way, um, you know, that way you can get it open or you don't have to struggle with it to get it open again. So um, that's just a, I thought that was like an interesting tidbit that, you know, that you guys are helping each other out. Right. And, and I mean, I have relied, you know, I've gotten lots of good info from my OTs and PTs throughout the years. And um, even as something is trying to work with the exercise bands, they're harder for me to hold on to. So we worked on ways to, you know, to modify those, whether it's like wrapping, wrapping a, um, or wrapping it around a paintbrush so that I had a handle to use. That was something that we did mm -hmm. so that I was able to have a better grip when I was working with those. And, um, you know, I use, I found a long handled um, uh, shampoo brush for my hair. And it's a, it's a lifesaver. I've, I've, I've gone through two already in the last 10 years. And first thing I tell everybody about because uh, especially women it's you know it's a hard thing to to not be able to get your hair really washed mm -hmm. so um you know those those are and you're not going to know about it unless somebody else that's already found out found it or found it out will shares it I mean because even I, you know, our therapists can be really versed but sometimes they haven't done the deep dive that you need to do when you are like, you know, it's a necessity that needs to be met. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, a, I think that's an interesting segue into um, kind of all of the, the treatments available um, to try to treat the symptoms um, and kind of help you out. So I was just curious about um, the evolution of some of the medications. Um, are there any kind of, um, you know, promising new medications or treatments coming available? And then um, uh, how much time has it been trying to figure out the right balance of medication compared to um, seeking out other kind of conservative measures in healthcare, whether that be massage or physical therapy or occupational therapy, or, um, you know, I don't know if you do acupuncture or any kind of those other kind of treatments uh, other than just speaking with your physician about medications and things that can help. Um, what is kind of your, I guess, portfolio of treatment for um, right. arthritis? I, um, and I think a lot of us are, we are getting one of the biggest requests um, to have speakers for our group is um, complimentary or holistic medicine practitioners. So um, in the past, we've had a um, an herbalist come in and speak about herbs and oils, essential oils. We've had um, a, a reflexology person come in and talk about, you know, um, the benefits of reflexology and just um, lessening pain. And we've been practicing um, every couple of months or meetings 
we do a, a, just a five minute guided meditation before we begin the meeting. And so, um, because one of the hardest things about living with a chronic illness is the feeling of being out of control. Um, like there's no telling what'll set off. I mean, there are some triggers that you know are gonna make you flare. If you go out dancing all night, you know you're gonna be sore the next day and you weigh whether that's you know worth it or not. But then there are some days that you wake up and it's a Tuesday and like out of the blue, you just feel like you were run over by a car. And so, and there's no rhyme or reason, which makes it hard to plan sometimes. And so there's always that bit of wiggle room that a lot of us have learned to build into it. But um, there's it, 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 adding complementary practices. We all know that it's just, it's, most people know now that it's good, not only for your body to pay attention to your nutrition and to get exercise and, um, but also things like, you know, massage and acupuncture. I've done both. I've done Reiki. Um, you know, I pay attention now. I don't eat sugar like I process sugars like I used to because I finally paid attention enough to recognize that um, I feel crappier when I eat a lot of, you know, processed foods, you know, too many days in a row. And, you know, again, everything with moderation, because I'm not giving up pizza, but, you know, um, you know, you, you learn to pay attention. And I think one of the tools that's good for that is to keep an activity log of how you're feeling, what you eat. And there are, there are many health trackers on, you know, you can find on the app store and the websites. And I think that that can help. Um, and uh, again, with even with the Arthritis Foundation, we have um, some tools online to help you keep track so that when you go to talk to your rheumatologist, you can say, well, I've tried this, oh, excuse me, I've tried this and it works. Or um, what do you think about the CBD oil is a big, big topic right now. And um, in April, our group is going to have um, an integrated um, integrated health practitioner come in and kind of talk about, you know, all the all the complementary things we can do. Because a lot of times people just don't want to rely on drugs because, again, then it feels kind of out of your control. If you can do something for yourself that's gonna that is gonna help you feel better, whether it's um, just in your head or not it's worth, it's worth trying. And there's a, there's a big, big um, need and interest out there for more of these things. You know, if, if we could get some of those uh, complementary uh, medicines paid for by insurance, like, like uh, massage and acupuncture, you know, it would be a benefit to a lot of people. One of the things that I, I wanted just to kind of touch on just with you talking about the activity tracker, um, and from my perspective, just how important being active is. Um, I know I kind of have that conversation a lot with a lot of my arthritis patients. If it's rheumatoid arthritis or osteoarthritis, I mean, it, it, any of the arthritis is, um, you know, it, it hurts. There's days where you wake up and if you're in a flare or if you're just, you wake up and you hurt, you don't want to move. Um, but from my perspective and all the research that I've done, movement is like the, the lotion for your joints. Um, and so, um, 
you know, I, I really, we talk about pacing, we talk about um, choosing the right activity, um, you know, trying to find things that work your joint, but don't over activate or overdo um, muscles or joints that then make you three steps behind where you were before. Um, You know, and it's one of those things that, you know, have you found your exercise program? Have you found your, the right, you know, um, activities that work for your body um, to keep you moving, to keep your joints moving, um, but not to aggravate, not to make things work. Right. Um, it's, it's a struggle for me all the time. Um, and when I was diagnosed, when you're young, when you're diagnosed as a child, uh, your range of motion exercises are something that they, they hammer in that you do twice a day. And, um, I've always been stubborn. So I really fought against that when I was a kid because it, again, it hurt it. I'd rather be doing something else. Um, and I regret that to this day, I regret that I didn't, and my parents fought tooth and nail to get me to stick to something, but you know, I never, it never became part of my practice. Um, a, a daily practice. And as I've gotten older, yes, I've tried to do more, um, you know, I guess thanks to COVID this summer, I started actually walking and um, ju- just, you know, challenging myself to maybe do a half a mile yep. around the blocks in my neighborhood. And I, you know, I invested in getting good shoes finally. And, um, you know, that, that really, it, it did invigorate me. And I know walking is one of those things that some people are like, well, it just hurts to walk. And then we know it's one of the, you know, best low impact exercises we can do. And so that's one thing I do do a lot of stretching now because I know, and, you know, with my disease um, history, I, like 10 years ago, I was in I was doing terrible. My health was probably the worst it had been in my life. My disease from my disease was that out of control. Um, and I ended up um, medically retiring. So I, I like I couldn't perform my job anymore because I was so sick. And, um, you know, 10 years later, here I am, I'm, I'm doing really well. And um, I'm not even on a biologic or a disease modifier. And I don't know if it's with age or, but with that, you know, there are some days that suddenly I'll be going up the stairs um, and, and just have that, one of those awareness moments where it's like, I wouldn't have done this 10 years ago. And so knowing that I have that ability and that flexibility makes me want to continue to push um, because every time you see a little bit of gain, you'll, you know, it just makes you want to push a little bit more. And so um, for me, yeah, it's been walking, it's been stretching. I think one of the things, especially when you're diagnosed as an adult, unless you are referred to a physical therapist, us adults aren't given, aren't taught, you know, the um, passive and active range of motion things we can do just sitting, watching television. And um that's one of the things that I think is, is really important. You don't have to do a rigorous exercise, but, you know, doing leg, you know, knee straighteners and, you know, quad sets and glute sets and all the stuff you can do 
Yes. It's not going to work up a sweat, but it's going to, you know, continue to lubricate those joints. Absolutely. I mean, that's what I try to ingrain in the patients that I see, like, I love it when people do exercises during TV. I say, just do it during the commercials. Like yeah. you, don't even have to, you don't even have to miss your show. You mm-hmm. just have to do it during like the 30 to 60 minute or 60 second commercials because it's great. It gets the joints moving. It keeps the blood flowing. Right. Um, and it doesn't feel like you're doing all that much. Where, you, right. know, you know, people will say a lot of times that they fatigue easily, that they yes. feel more tired just because your joints are having to work that much harder than a regular normal person and so they say I fatigue so quickly so I say you can sit down and do your exercises you can do them during your tv show or what you know it it, I think it puts them at ease a little bit knowing that like they don't have to go to the gym and do you know a 60 minute workout where sweat's dripping down their face well especially because that might be damaging to the joints it's all about knowing um you know, the balance and what your joints are, are capable of. And sometimes people uh, will do some extreme exercising and that, that actually ends up damaging their yep. body rather than keeping it mobile. So, yep. um, you know, I think always getting the basics is an important part of that, but, you know, just the basic rundown. And I still remember the ones that I was taught at childhood. They're ingrained in me, like, um, you know, like brushing my teeth. So, <laughs> yep. One thing that um, I, I was a little bit curious about when I came across a video of you, it was a story time uh, video for, I can't remember which group you did it for, but uh, you talked about kind of uh, the struggles with the cost of healthcare um, that you had growing up and then into your adult life and um, kind of the impact that it had on what care you were able to receive in certain aspects and um, having to make tough decisions on what you were going to uh, seek out in terms of care. Uh, yeah. it, it was, it just struck me. we had a lot of conversations. I had a, a guest on uh, the podcast earlier that kind of was talking in, in a very different realm about the rising cost of healthcare and um, the position that it puts some businesses in with uh, their HR and things like that. And um, mm-hmm. I think it's a topic that's on the top of everybody's mind because y- you do just go to doctor's offices at a normal, as a, as a uh, person without any kind of major health history. Yeah. Um, and it still seems expensive. And so I can't imagine if you have something that's chronic, um, how hard it is to deal with some of those costs. So I just wanted to get your thoughts and, um, you know, where you came, came, come from on that uh, front? Well, I mean, without getting too political, I think <laughs> I'm a big fan for Medicare for all because um, unless you lit, you don't understand the cost. Um, a biologic, I mean, our biologics, the things that are like the top tier treatments for autoimmune diseases right now, um, one of them costs $12,000 a month. Wow. And, and that's, now there are copay assistance programs, but those also, if you are somebody on Medicare, or Med, um, you don't qualify for those assistance programs. So after your deductible, I have a group member who they're trying to find um, a different biologic for her right now. And after after insurance, it's still going to be four grand a month. 
And this is somebody retired. I mean, these are things that people with autoimmune diseases um, and other chronic illnesses like, like diabetes or um, that every day is a struggle. Sometimes just get like negotiating coverage for uh, a medication is a full-time job. And it's, it, it's extraordinarily difficult a lot of times to be able to get the medication you need immediately, depending on who, um, you know, your provider is and um, what agreements they have with the pharmacy and everything else. I mean, there's a lot of middlemen involved and it, it can lead to um, unnecessary delay in getting the correct treatments and um, prolonged joint deterioration because of it. Uh, the Arthritis Foundation, um, one of our advocacy efforts about two years ago was, um, was pushing to get um, uh, the uh, step therapy bill um, passed. And so then if, um, if you've been on a, on a on a good biologic that's working for you and suddenly um, your insurance coverage changes and they no longer cover that drug and they want you to switch to this biologic, um, there's an appeal process now you can go through because they're not there didn't used to be one in the benefits managers. Um, and also the idea that you have to start at a low tier drug and work your way up so you have to fail three, four, five different medications before you go to the one that your doctor wanted to put you on to begin with. And so it's not only destructive to the body as you're failing all these drugs, but it's expensive and it's a waste of money. Um, so there's a lot we can do. The step therapy drug, not, or, our bill has now been put in place here in Wisconsin. Um, we're trying to get it passed on a federal level because then, I mean, the bigger, the better, right? And then um, surprise billing is another thing that we've been working on and patient uh, groups across country are working on so that um, you go into the hospital and you know everything's covered, but then they bring in an outside anesthesiologist and you get hit with you know, a, a 10 grand anesthesiology bill because the anesthesiologist was out of network. And um, a lot of times you can be you know, um, as diligent as you know how, and all of a sudden, and boom, you get this medication. And um, yeah, I mean, four or five years ago, I was 20 grand in debt because I'm on Medicare. Um, and, you know, I see four or five different doctors. So, you know, depending on my disease activity and, it's, you know, it's a lot. The debt that you accrue just trying to stay well um, or functional even, not even well, but um, yeah, it's astronomical and it's, it's unfortunate. It doesn't have to be that way. And so, you know, we work hard even in our groups to provide the best resources we can for assistance programs and, um, you know, even different nonprofits that can offer some relief. So yeah, it's a never ending struggle. 
Have you, um, I'm just curious and maybe you don't know the answer. Have you, has your, any of the foundations that you've worked for, uh, been in contact with any kind of groups, uh, outside of the U S that seem to have a system that's, uh, really benefited the arthritis population in terms of, um, you know, a system that's better able to get more affordable, um, treatments, um, for, um, not that I know of. I mean, I know that, you know, there's people that will go to Canada for their meds or go to Mexico for their meds. Um, I did have a, a group member um, who um, who was born in Mexico and still had family there. So she would travel there twice a year and she would get, she would fill her meds for like a fraction of the cost of oh. what would happen here. But, okay. you know, not everybody can do that or has that luxury. Yep. So, um yeah, right now we just got to change the system that is. And then uh, just kind of a little bit off topic, but you did mention um, CBD is kind of becoming a, a little bit of a topic. Um, big topic, yeah. A big topic. And and so mm-hmm. what is that? I guess, can you explain um, maybe the benefits of that? And then is there any kind of movement um with everybody or all the states, some states legalizing marijuana, is there any benefits um, with arthritis that you know of um, with, uh, you know, THC as long as, uh, along with the CBD and if that has any benefits as well? So there, there has been research done um, on uh, THC and CBD, the Arthritis Foundation does um, has put out a statement about CBD. To, you know, just to speak with your provider, your, you know, make sure your rheumatologist knows that you're taking it, and it's not going to interact with any um, other of your medications, which generally it doesn't. And um, you know, there is there are studies that show that it does it, it helps with the inflammation, the cannabinoid that is both in uh, straight CBD and CD, CBD with THC. Um, there's an, anecdotal evidence everywhere that it helps alleviate some of the arthritis pain and the inflammation. Um, and there's more research being done now, I think, than ever before. Um, we actually, the Arthritis Foundation, is having a webinar on um medical marijuana coming up next month. So we are paying attention and staying as updated as possible. Really, it's more it's more of a political um, issue right now than it is uh, a, a patient issue. Um, I do know I have several friends that did live in different states that do um, that do use it for pain reduction. And, um, you know, and, and it, again, it's been shown that it can help with inflammation. And inflammation is the, you know, the, and, um, you know, and again, RA and osteo are different because osteo is just a progression of the wear down of joints throughout your lifetime. Um, And it can affect just one joint, whereas, you know, rheumatoid arthritis tends to affect um, multiple joints. And so, you know, here's hoping, here's hoping, because if we can, 
take less opioids and use more of a holistic way of treating pain, you know, it's a win for everyone. So I just have a quick, you know, question. If there's any um, arthritis foundations coming up or events that you would like to kind of promote or talk about, um, you know, whatever is kind of in the docket for the Arthritis Foundation, we'd love to hear more about. Sure, sure. well, um, like I said, um, my group, and it's called Livios Connect uh, Milwaukee, and you can find it on um, connectgroups.arthritis.org. And um, that's my group that meets once a month, every third Saturday of the month. And we bring in, um, subject matter experts along with having time to check in with each other, see how everybody's feeling, share what's been going on. Um, February 20th, we are having Dr. Alvin Wells, a rheumatologist out of Aurora, come in and speak to us about um, COVID, what we know now. He, he spoke with us back in May, you know, as we were still just learning things and now he's going to give us an update talk about the vaccine talk about what he knows about um how it's been affecting people with autoimmune diseases um so that's coming up on the 20th um like i mentioned the arthritis foundation is has started monthly webinars that you can find at arthritis.org the next one coming up is going to be um the medical marijuana one and, you know, we have different groups throughout the country holding these excellent. And now, I mean, it's kind of a blessing going virtual as we've done, because we have the ability now to, like for me in Milwaukee, to partner with somebody from, um, you know, Los Angeles and offer whatever their speaker is to my group as well. So there's there's the ability to join other um meetings going on subject matter experts so we have that we also um have the walk to cure arthritis um our flagship fundraiser coming up in june now again because we um we're not meeting in person you know we are a high risk group but we are um doing some fun um some fun activities to to still try and, and share some of the spirit. So we're encouraging people to do their own walk, you know, um, form their groups and um, walk their own routes. And then um, for everyone that, there's no registration fee, but for everyone that raises $100 or more, they are getting a, um, a ticket to one of the Milkmen um, uh, games coming up this summer. And th those are, that's the semi-pro ball team here in um, Milwaukee or southeastern Wisconsin. Right. So we've got that coming up. And then in March, um, again, we'll have a meeting in March. We're going to have a, a um, meeting um, talking, speaking, you know, patient communication with your healthcare provider. And we have integrated medicine in April and we have goal setting in May. So we've got a nice, um, kind of meaty selection of information for um, patients coming forward. There's also, if politics is your thing, there's always the opportunity to become an Arthritis Foundation advocate. 
and um, you know, again, help us get the uh, the surprise billing reform passed. Um, and you know, we're always championing for more research and um, more equitable healthcare um, and you know, affordable healthcare costs. So that's available also on the Arthritis Foundation, arthritis.org. We also, um, aside from our Live Yes groups, we do have an online community. So we have a nice um, uh, discussion board section and um, that's been doing really well. So whether you just need to hop on and chat with somebody else that's dealing with it or if you have a specific question on specific topics, the online community is available. So we really are, um, part of the Arthritis Foundation three-year plan was really to um, grow into a, um, volunteer-driven patient-centered organization. And so we are continue to build on that to bring uh, community members in to be the leaders um, in the organization and to share what they've learned and to also share what we, you know, the programs and services we provide. Um, you know, the last thing is our Arthritis Insights program which a uh, patient-centered um, uh, patient-centered, I guess, uh, um, research project, um, you know, where we, you know, our people just, um, it's a survey that we're continuously providing to, um, to increase what we know about pain, um, about, um, disease mobility about you know basically just everything and how people are dealing with and um what is affecting our patients and with that you know we are creating the biggest uh basically information informative database that we can then use to um to say to have qualitative data that says this is what the main issues are for people living with arthritis. This is what we need to focus on. This is what you need to focus on. And so, um, and that's our Arthritis Insights program. And it's um, also available on arthritis.org. And again, it's, um, it's anonymous. So nobody's giving out any of their personal information or their health history. Um, so yeah, protects against that. But it's it's a good tool to help us build out our programs even more and more personalized. Thank you, Desiree, for coming on Freedom Talks, and thanks, Molly, for helping me uh, helping us out and give us a little insight from the PT perspective. And um, I think we've learned quite a bit today, and um, it's it's been great to get to know you, Desiree. And uh, thank you again so much for coming on. This podcast is brought to you by Freedom Physical Therapy Services, providing one-on-one comprehensive physical and occupational therapy services, including women's health, chronic pain treatment, TMJ, and more. With four locations in Fox Point, Grafton, Brookfield, and McGuanago, Wisconsin. More information at freedompt.com.